Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. As I parked the car and I walked in the door of my house, I saw a flash of pink and I, I thought to myself, well, that's a bit strange. And I walked down the hallway and I turned the corner and there was my husband in my sexy black lacy lingerie finishing a job interview over the phone. And I'm just like, you can't even imagine where my mind went. I went, oh, my God, like what is happening here? Um, How is this happening? And when he finished the job interview, he came over and he held my hands and he said to me, I've always wanted to be a girl. And because I have training as a homeopath and a counsellor, right in that moment I kind of separated my mother, wife, and my homeopath counsellor, and I jumped into the homeopath counsellor side and I held his hands and I said, you're going to be a beautiful girl. And I had a cheesecake on the stove that I was taking back to my business partner. That's actually why I had come home. And I took the cheesecake and I literally ran out the door and I cried for like the next year and a half. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Rhiannon, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Srini, I'm absolutely excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so I found out about your work by way of your publicist. And when I got a look at, you know, sort of the caliber of people that you work with, you know, peak performance is something that's always been of interest to me as somebody who is like driven to a fault, which is, is another thing we should probably talk about. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking, what is one of the most important things that you learned from one or both of your parents that have influenced and shaped your life and who you've become and what you've ended up doing? Both of my parents were extremely hard workers and um, very, very dedicated to whatever goal they decided to choose or to follow. So from both of my parents, I learned to give whatever project I was on the time of day and just to understand that it takes more than eight hours a day or it takes more than just the amount of effort you're going to give it. You, you need to keep going and keep moving towards those goals to actually fully realise your dreams and to fully achieve. Like my father was a very, he was a pilot in the Second World War. He was a, he fought, he, he flew Lancasters and he was shot down and he broke his back in seven places and he, they told him he would never walk and he was in hospital basically for three years. Well, after that, he went on then to become a doctor and he, he was an amazing doctor and he practised till he was 77. My mother, um, English was her second language and she was a linguist and an incredible um, translator and then she ran her own business having not any idea about running a business. She had a global business and she took that to the top of its its heap in terms of the type of work that she did. She went to the absolute top. So I watched both of my parents do things to the absolute best of their ability and to give it their all and to be fully present and, you know, and, Prior to that, my family were from very hard-working blue-collar stock. Like my great-grandfather worked in the, in the mines in Wales and he started work when he was six years old. Like can you imagine sending a child into the mines at six years old? And my great-grandmother on my mother's side um, lived through two world wars and basically every single day of her life was about putting food on the table for her family. Like she even sold her cutlery door to door to door to door 
to for a meal for you know for vegetables and things like that so i have incredible resilience and in my life my own experience as well has given me resilience and tenacity and drive and just the ability to go the distance that's really what i've learned from my parents so uh, how old were you when uh, you, like were you already born when your dad was dealing with the fact that he you know uh, had broken his back and, and dealing with all these issues Oh, no, he was already a doctor by then. So that was a story in our family. Okay. We were already a doctor by then. Wow. So one thing I wonder, I mean, you mentioned these, you come from sort of blue collar backgrounds and then your dad becomes a doctor and your mom kind of rises to the top of her field. And I asked somebody this who had basically run a family business that had been passed on from generation to generation. And I don't remember what, where the quote was. It might have been the TV show Billions. He was like, the you know the first generation builds it, um, the s- second generation grows it, and the third generation kills it. <laughs> uh, oh, I you know, I, but but the thing that I wonder, you know, like sort of seeing the evolution in terms of economic circumstance, how you maintain a sense of, of humility, and you know, also recognize the fact there's tremendous privilege built into to what you be able to do. Because I, I was having this conversation the other day with somebody um, and she had listened to one of our interviews with my old roommate, Greg, um, who said, you know, oh, well, she was like, I don't really like the idea of something that is improbable or, you know, impossible and that we should only focus on what's probable. And I was like, well, I, I think you misunderstood the message of the fact that, you know, like people set improbable goals and as a result, they become very disappointed. But one of the things that uh, she she gave me as the example as her pushback was, hey, I went to a third tier law school and I got a job at a first tier law firm. And I was like, and she was like, and I overcame prestige bias, which is very like rampant in, in the legal industry. And, you know, I kind of thought about what she said. And I said, yeah, but you don't recognize there's other, another bias here of your own that actually puts you in this position. That's privilege bias. You grew up in an Indian family where you're pretty much taught to work your ass off, study all the time. Like that is what you would call one of Malcolm Gladwell's outlier advantages. Um, So I wonder how you think about that. Uh, What I believe, like I like your analogy of the three generations is that you are, you know, biologically, you are the result of your parenting and your heritage. So you do inherit that and you inherit the good and the bad. So you inherit the trauma as well as the success. So it's overcoming that and moving through that and then harnessing that. Like the interesting thing is, you know, I'm a businesswoman and I'm a serial entrepreneur and I speak and travel all over the globe. And yet my father, who was a doctor, he always had these crazy business ideas. So, you know, he wanted to import um, pink champagne from Russia and he wanted to set up like chocolate factories in China, like, you know, when when it was still communist. So, I mean, it's still communist now, but when it was, you know, less developed. Um, so yes, I totally agree. And then I look at my son who he has grown up, you know, he's 16 now and he has already manifested so much in his life. He goes, Oh mom, I'll never work like you. And I'll never work like the people in our family work. Cause, cause what he's seen is I'm just going to make it happen effortlessly. It's going to be easy for me. So, and, and I can see it's actually true for him. And the one thing I thought when I was parenting him is I never want him to work as hard as we've worked. Like this working hard thing is really big in our family and I'm transforming it because why can't you work easy? Why why can't it be effortless? And, and it's funny you were mm. talking about the impossible before. I wrote a list of impossibles two years ago, all things that are impossible um, that for me to achieve because I thought if I could achieve one thing on that list, then that changes my reality. It changes my paradigm. Well, I achieved two things off that list. So there's no such thing as impossible. There's no such thing as problems. 
we're just under resourced. Yeah. We don't have the resources to to create the solution for that. And that's all about creativity. Yeah. Well, so so I think that, you know, what um you know this mentor of mine was really kind of getting at is that, you know, you know, you say there's no such thing as impossible. Like he said, you know, we have to kind of like consider both, you know, the probability of success as something and the possibility of it. He said, yes, it's always possible that you could be yeah. successful at something. But he said, so, you know, the probability, like, for example, the, the one I always come back to is like the probability of me basically making it to the NBA to play basketball with LeBron James, never going to happen. That is literally zero. Yeah, yeah. I'm a scrawny Indian person. Yeah, yeah. And that's the example yeah. I always come back to. So, and the thing is, I think that, you know, part of what happens in, you know, this sort of personal development, you can do anything culture, which is why, you know, my friend even refers to unmistakable creative as a skeptic's guide to a good life, because I always challenge people on this, um, is that you know, we've created this sort of delusional sense of possibility um, in which people actually and the downside to that is that they actually ignore their gifts trying to accomplish things that they're not naturally hardwired for because of the yeah. world that they see around them. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that's a, that is really key. You absolutely need to understand what your gifts are and focus and harness on them because if you're working on a weakness, it, it, you'll either never get there or you'll certainly waste a lot of time trying to, to achieve that when you could actually be working on something that could bring you magic or bring you joy in your life. So it's, rec- it's in my book, Life is a Choice and the Choice is Yours, the, the first thing I talk about is awareness. You need to have awareness of who you are, how you move through the world, what makes you tick, what makes you happy, because if you don't have that awareness, then you can't extrapolate your life to greater things. You can't then harness those things and create a masterpiece for yourself because if you don't have an awareness, you'll just bumble through life and, you know, go wherever life, you know, shows you to go. It's about harnessing that champion inside and creating that and then accessing the opportunities that show up and then boom, you've got magic. All right. So I, I want to come back to, to this idea of, you know, from making awareness to action to to sort of magic. But um, I want to go back to something you said earlier about inherited trauma and, yeah. uh so I don't imagine you basically went through life and, and went through childhood without any inherited trauma and you just woke up one day and you're this like superhuman person who's capable of accomplishing no. extraordinary things. Correct me if I'm wrong. You uh, are bang on. That, okay. Okay. So if that's the case, what was the trauma? How did you get over it? Um, and how did it show up in your life? Like how did it impact you both young, when you were younger and older? Okay, so I would say to that, how many hours do you have and what I would choose, (laughs) literally, what I'll choose is I'll choose to share a story that was probably the most impactful and the the most recent trauma that I've been through. I've been blessed by a lot of tragedy in my life and when I mean blessed, it's because I chose to take the lesson from each tragedy to transform my life rather than to wallow in the pain and all the discomfort of all the emotions that went with it, like, you know, my brother committing suicide was absolutely monumental in transforming my life in terms of me wanting to help people. I lost three babies at 20 weeks, like not holding your first child and not having a child that's breathing in your arms as a mother is just devastating so that when I finally had my son, which was my fourth child, I, I can't even express what that meant to me and how close I am to him, whereas if I hadn't lost the first three babies, who would know? I, I lived in foster care. My stepmom was abusive. I found out I had another brother. brother and, you know, I've, I've had many, many more experiences, but the last one is the one I'll share where 12 years ago I lost absolutely everything. So I lost my marriage, my business, my home and my mind all within about three months. So what happened was I had a business and I had 35 staff. I had a one-year-old child and I was happily married to a, 
a very handsome, lovely firefighter and I thought my life was fantastic. And I one day I came home unannounced and we actually shared a vehicle. So normally my husband would say to me, ex-husband would say, oh, you know, what time are you coming home? So he always kind of knew what time I was coming home. That particular day I borrowed a, a, my business partner's car and I drove home. And as I parked the car and I walked in the door of my house, I saw a flash of pink. And I, I thought to myself, well, that's a bit strange. And I walked down the hallway and I turned the corner and there was my husband in my sexy black lacy lingerie finishing a job interview over the phone. And I'm just like, you can't even imagine where my mind went. I went, oh, my God, like what is happening here? Um, How is this happening? And when he finished the job interview, he came over and he held my hands and he said to me, I've always wanted to be a girl. And because I had training as a homeopath and a counsellor, right in that moment, I kind of separated my mother, wife, and my homeopath counsellor, and I jumped into the homeopath counsellor side, and I held his hands and I said, you're going to be a beautiful girl. And I had a cheesecake on the stove that I was taking back to my business partner. That's actually why I had come home. And I took the cheesecake and I literally ran out the door and I cried for like the next year and a half. Now, during that time, I didn't actually believe that this was true and I was trying to figure out what was happening, like is this a fetish or what is it? But it actually ended up that, yes, he was transgender, he wanted to have a full sex change and become a woman, and I was trying to understand how could, how do I live with this, how can I, you know, what does that mean in terms of our marriage, who am I, all those sorts of questions. And because I didn't realise I was in shock, when he left to get help, my business also was failing at the same time. So my payroll was $30,000 every two weeks. So I thought to myself, look, I'll just house sit for a few weeks. And then once I figure that out, then we'll be good. Well, the thing is, I didn't figure it out in a few weeks. So that, that house sitting with my son, who was then one year, one year old, that ended up being house sitting in over 40 houses over three years. Like I was so tired at the end. I was just like, oh, my God, I just cannot ask for another house sit. And I'm still trying to run the business. And during that time, it was kind of like Will Smith's Pursuit of Happiness. I would get up at 3 in the morning, go clean a restaurant, you know, then then take my son to daycare, daycare, then do the work, then pick him up and then do more work. And by the end of it, I just couldn't ask for another house sit. I was just totally exhausted. So I asked my friend to, to lend me a tent. So at my lowest point, I was living in a tent on food bank handout, still trying to run the business and still trying to figure out, you know, still sorting out things with my ex-husband who I'd left and all of that and just trying to find the status quo. But now I realise I was in shock. And so from that first moment of what was happening with my husband, when I when I went into shock, I stopped making good decisions and I started to spiral out of control and so I lost everything. So at the very lowest point, I you know, I was praying to God every day for three years, please God, can you fix it? Like my God, my father was a doctor. I went to university, like how have I ended up here? And I've got a you know, I was crying myself to sleep at night in the tent praying that I could take my son on a holiday or that I could buy him a T-shirt or that I could feed him something other than beans and rice. Like I wanted to be the one to provide for him. Like I had this beautiful son and we had such a restricted life. I couldn't give him anything. I couldn't provide anything for him. So it was really interesting. I couldn't, I just couldn't fix it. It wasn't being fixed. And then one day my mum called me and I'm one of eight children and she told me she was quite ill. And I thought to myself, if I don't find a way out of this and I can't fix this. I'll never forgive myself. 
So isn't it funny, like, bang, I I had an idea. I thought I'll call my friends, I'll ask for points, I'll ask for money. And I was living in Canada at the time and my mum was in Australia, so I got points and money and I came back to Australia to look after mum because she had a heart condition and she was in a really bad financial situation. So she was in housing commission. So while I was looking after her, the three of us were living in a one-bedroom housing commission unit and I just thought, you know, while I'm looking after mum, I just don't want to live like this. I can't live like this. This is not a life. And that was that was the turning point for me is I want to create something better. So when mum got better, I was forced to look at myself and go, okay, what am I going to do now to make a difference? And that was that living in the tent, I cried myself to sleep at night because I used to make about $500 a month for 12 years when I was running that business because I, you know, had I made so many wrong choices and when I was crying myself to sleep at night in the tent, I thought to myself, what's the most ridiculous amount of money that I could make in one month to, to totally transform our lives? And I had written down on this tiny little piece of paper that if I could make $40,000 in a month, we could do anything. And it's really interesting that, you know, when I, when I started the journey to becoming a coach and, you know, finding the funding to do all of that from the housing commission unit and I was wearing my mum's clothes to work and all of that, that 18 months later I would actually make $40,811. Like that was an over 8,000% increase in my income. And the reason that happened was my drive to transform my life was so massive that I was working seven days a week. I was doing every training course that you could do. I was studying under every you know guru coach that you could study. So I dedicated like the first three years of that coaching practice to absolutely everything I could do to become the best coach that I could be. And like you know, sure, it's taken a decade, like, you know, 10 years later or 12 years later, I'm, I've arrived. But it was the drive to provide for my family and to provide a new way of life and to open up the world and to not live in this poverty victim scarcity mindset that I had and to transform that into an abundant wealth and, you know, um, uh, expansion mindset. And how I did it is kind of akin to how Steve Jobs was saying, you know, he was looking at the lot, you know, the connecting the dots on the way back is they were tiny little moments of bright brightness that suggested this is the way. Like when I went to coach training, that was only, you know, sort of six months after being in the tent. And I was in a room full of CEOs of major corporations and they wanting to become coaches and we were working from like 5 a.m. till 11 at night. And um, at the end of the two weeks, they asked everyone in the room who was the most inspirational coach, and they all said that I was. Well, that was the tiny little light that started my coaching career. I went, oh, my God, I'm inspirational. I've got to use this. And so all these tiny little wins started to amount to something, and, and I built my life and my career and, you know, rebuilt my life basically from that. But it's the drive that I got as the gift from being homeless. Like when I was crying myself to sleep at night, wishing that, you know, God would change my life, I could never have imagined that I would then a decade later say to God, thank you so much for those three years in the tent because without those three years, in the sorry, the three years of being homeless, there's no way I'd have this life because I wouldn't have been driven to do it. So I feel mm. super, so that, that's the last tragedy and I, I, I'm so grateful that I haven't had anything huge since then. Like I've had, sure, I've had things to deal with, but nothing like that. So if you like The Unmistakable Creative, there's another podcast that I think you'll really like. So how does an opera singer learn a new role? How does an actress find the perfect accent for her character? What does the director of a TV drama actually do all day? Those are the questions that Ruman Alam, Isaac Butler, and June Thomas put to creative people every week on Working. 
Learn how writers outline novels, how composers get jobs and get paid, and how YouTube creators learn to look into the camera lens. Listen to Working from Slate every Sunday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Wow, there's there's so much here. Um, I, I want to start with uh, something that you said that really struck me that uh, you said, you know, like, how does this happen to somebody like me? I'm, you know, the daughter of a doctor. I went to college. Yeah. And you know what? I, I think that resonated with me because I honestly think to myself, like, as you're saying, that, I was like, yeah, that's probably what I would think, too, given the fact that I'm the son of a college professor. I would be like, how the hell did this happen to me? That's so um, one, you know, like, how did this impact the relationships with the people in your life? And, you know, how is it like what were like, how do you end up making so many decisions that you know, put you into this sort of situation um, where you end up in this position, given particularly given your background, because you're like not a likely person to end up in that situation. No, that's so true. And that's a, such a great, great question. I think the, the key here is I was living in Canada. So all my family, childhood friends weren't there. So this was a new life that I was building with my husband at the time. So my clients and that they knew that I was doing this and they were saying to me like, God, how are you doing it? And at the time, I didn't think that it was such a big deal because I kept thinking, oh, it's going to end, it's going to end, but it sort of just kept it kept it just kept going on and on and on. And when I look back on it, what I realised was I I didn't understand that I was in shock. So when I first of all made that decision to go house sitting, um, I thought I'd only do it for sort of six to eight weeks, which you know doesn't seem like much time. That's fine, but of course it dragged on and on. The problem was I was like a little mouse on a little wheel. I didn't have any time to think outside of my situation. Like my time was so busy and just surviving, just doing what I was doing, and I didn't understand that I should actually just stop for a second and take like a day to rethink this whole thing and and wh- what else could I do. I was so busy, you know, making sure I could make this payroll and, you know, do the jobs and pick up my son from from daycare and do that, that I was just this little mouse on a treadmill going round and round and round, just making worse decisions and not stopping to think, is there a better way? Like, at, like as a coach now, I can look back on what I was doing and going, if I'd only asked myself a better question during that time, I could have stopped what I was doing and I could have created a different outcome. And at the time, I, I didn't realise how serious it was and I was in shock and I just thought I can keep doing it. I will fix it. My, if I look back, the number one thing, which is funny, it's from my parents, I thought to myself, I'm just not working hard enough. If I just work harder, I'll be able to fix it. Like I just need to work harder, which of course is not the answer, right? But that was my programming. If I work harder... I'll be able to fix it. Just work harder. And that, and that's not, that was never going to be the answer. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I want to come back to this idea of programming and, and we'll, we'll start with awareness, but there's one other thing I want to ask you, you know, I mean, you know, finding out a husband is transgender, three babies. What I wonder is how you find this capacity to risk having your heart broken so badly, you know, when you've lost three kids that you decide to try and have a fourth. You know what? I love that you just asked that question because I was only just speaking to someone else from Ireland just before on exactly that. It, living an amazing life is about risking yourself each and every day because you risk that you could get hurt and you risk that you'll be loved. It's your choice, like which one. But if you put a big wall up, it'll never happen. So when I when I very first became pregnant with my first child, I had four friends who became pregnant at the same time and we were all due within a few weeks of each other so I was the only one that didn't have a baby 
they all they all had their babies and they're all healthy and beautiful and I remember holding their babies and I I literally couldn't breathe I was just like oh my god like I could have had a baby and I I had a baby but I don't have a live baby and I couldn't breathe so it was absolutely devastating and at the same time then losing two more I I I started to ask myself like what am I doing is this the way like am I ever gonna you know I haven't done drugs I'm super healthy like how why can't I have a child so I had all these questions and my heart would seriously break every time I would lose a child it would just honestly break and I remember the fourth time which is my son who's now 16 I remember at 16 weeks being rushed to the hospital and they told me that I would there was no chance for me to have a healthy child because my blood work was so bad that he would have he would not be healthy he would be low birth weight he would be preterm like there was no chance for a healthy child and in that moment my again my heart was breaking and I thought to myself you know they're offering me that I don't have to continue with the pregnancy because I'm 16 weeks and I'm just you know I'm just like I'm going to go as far as this pregnancy goes like And I remember I took a moment in that time, I actually took a moment and I went inside and I I felt like I was talking to my baby inside me saying, are you okay? And I got this feeling, I'm fine. And I'm like, I'm going to go as far as this pregnancy can go. So as much as my heart had been broken and broken and broken by losing these, these babies, when I had my son, the day that I had my son, when I got to hold him, I remember exactly what I said. I said to my midwife, I said, oh, he stopped breathing. And my midwife goes, no, he's fine. I think you need to take a breath. And from that moment on, I'm, the love I have for my son because I didn't get to hold to have the other three children in my life and I've had more miscarriages after that has been 10 billion times more than I could ever have imagined if I had held that first child because it just became that much more precious. Like this relationship to, to be a mother, to have a child, just became so deeply ingrained in my heart that the love I have for my son is 10 billion times more than I would have ever had if I had not gone through all that trauma. So, yes, it was very difficult risking myself, but it's also taught me to risk myself each and every day that I have the opportunity to engage in loving kindness and I might get hurt, but if I don't take the walls down, I can't receive the loving kindness. So I'm really brave and I encourage everyone else to be brave to take the walls down, to live from a space of loving kindness because that's where life starts. That is, you know, a, a loving kindness space. That's where life starts. And if you're getting hurt, you just need to learn something. That's all. Really and truly, you need to learn something. You're getting a lesson that can then help you later. No, it was very hard, but I'm so blessed to have my son. So, so blessed. So I I have to ask you this just out of of morbid curiosity. Are you immune to all the bullshit that other parents deal with, like the fact that teenagers are a pain in the ass just because of this experience? You know what? That is the first time anyone's (laughs) ever... No, seriously, that's the first time anyone's ever asked me. I have to say, being a parent for me has been so easy, effortless. It's been tiring it's never been hard and I am absolutely blessed. I've got the most amazing teenager. Sure, he's got some attitude, but if that's the only thing I cop, I'm a very lucky parent. 
<laughs> well, I mean, it just seems like the the you know nature of being a parent is that you have to learn how to have you know the capacity to have this you know semi irrational mini version of yourself push your buttons. Like that's what I imagine it to be. Like. That, well, that's exactly right. Like he just thinks I'm stupid. Like honestly and truly, like he goes, "Oh, mum, really? You're going to do that? Oh, mum." And you know, and if I win an award or something, like you know, one number one business and performance coach, he goes, "Oh, mum, you really need to just empty the dishwasher." I'm like, right, you know. Like, <laughs> if, if, being in my family is going to keep you super humble because they just don't give a damn about that stuff. It's just like get the chores done, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate. Like, you know, nobody cares yeah. about my books or anything out of my place. It's like go clean the house and put the damn cap on the toothpaste, which my mom yeah, still this day is like, I've told you a thousand times to do yeah. this. And I was like, you've told me a thousand times. Like, you know, I was like the data points pretty much point to the fact that it's probably never going to change. Yeah, um, it keeps you real, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, where I want to start with this idea of, of awareness is you, you hit like pretty much rock bottom. I feel like I hear so many stories like this where that often is the catalyst. It has to be something that really just goes off the rails. Like it was yeah. for me. I mean, the only reason I did, you know, probably started the show is because I graduated into a, a recession for the second time in my life in 2009. Like, you know, no job, like broke after getting an MBA, like, and I wonder, this is a question I've asked in some form or another to lots of people. Uh, is crisis necessary for this sort of transformation? Uh, and if not, like, why is it that that seems to be what it takes across the board? And comfort doesn't seem to produce this kind of change. I've thought about this lots and lots because I really want to say to someone, you know, you don't need crisis to create success. And in all honesty, I actually think crisis is the catalyst for great success because when you, you're faced with something as, you know, as important as your very survival, like just making it through each and every day, all of a sudden you decide what's important and what's not important. So you're you're making your your playing field becomes more level because you're going all that stuff over there that doesn't count all this stuff over here this is what's important so when you are faced with a really deep crisis you're actually faced with a crisis of identity as well like who are you in this moment who do you want to be and how do you want to live like you know if, if I compare that to when my brother committed suicide when he was my older brother he was two years older so when I became older than him I remember making packs like I'll live for both of us, which of course made me very tired. And at the same time, like not having him, him in my life made me realize how precious life was. So all of those things have carved so deeply into my soul. Where else are you going to get that lesson? Where else are you going to get a lesson that carves so deeply into your soul that it's a catalyst to, for polishing the diamonds within your soul and producing extraordinary results? Unfortunately, pain, that stress, it's a perturbation. It gives us the opportunity to, to catalyze our true greatness. I'd love to say you don't need it. And maybe some people don't need it. But in my experience, the people who've had the most trauma, the, the most deeply ingrained wounds are often the ones that rise right to the absolute top because they start to see very clearly who they are, what they want and what they don't want. And they start to decide that this mission, this life is very important to them because of the traumas that they had. They choose something that's completely different to that to provide a life that they want because now they know what they don't want, right? So my traumas yeah. have been such a gift because it's opened a, a complete new world 
in terms of this is what I want, this is what I'm going for, and try and stop me, you know, because there's no way I'm living where I used to live. So I'd love to say, no, you don't need trauma, you don't need pain, but I'd have to say you definitely need some sort of stress as as a catalyst for change because otherwise you can't realise your truest, greatest potential. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry. Only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I was rereading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book. Like, I just went through the whole Gladwell trilogy again because I don't yeah, listen to the audio books. Yeah, I, I re- and I don't like audio books and I even don't listen like audio is despite being a podcaster, my least preferred form of media. Yeah, um, funny. But the reason, the reason I, that that came to mind is, you know, he talks about uh, particularly in David and Goliath, what he called desirable difficulties where he, you know, highlights sort of, um, you know, entrepreneurs who are dyslexic. And uh, yeah. he mentions a, a guy named David Boyce and David Boyce is like the most like just 
ruthless trial attorney uh, in the United States. Like you, the last person on earth you'd ever want to get a letter from unless he's your attorney is probably David Boyce. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was just, you know, it was interesting to see that. And he was a guy who basically, you know, went to law school where there's immense amounts of reading and he couldn't actually read. So his ability to listen compensated for it. And as a result, he's extraordinary at what he does. Uh, And so there's this, you know, idea of desirable difficulty, but let's, let's go into this idea of awareness because one thing that I, I think is fascinating is somehow uh, we have to get through sort of childhood, uh, you know, like almost to the point of like, you know, our mid twenties without sort of doing any sort of self exploration to right. uncover you know, some of the things you mentioned of like, you know, who are you, uh, who do you want to be and how do you want to live? Yeah. I, I can honestly tell you, I can't think of once where I asked myself those questions for my entire twenties. Of course, um, because our because I'll tell you why why because we're very programmed, particularly in Indian families, that you care here's society's life plan. Here's our interpretation of society's life plan, which, yeah. by the way, we've stripped out all the other occupations other than doctor, lawyer, and engineer. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you don't do these, like, well, you know, then then you're a lost cause, which at this point I am, but. Uh, the thing that that I wonder is, is okay. So you've got this layer of social programming that is so deeply embedded. Yeah. And to you know, how do you even wake up from that to say, okay, let me you know start to cultivate awareness. Oh, you see, that's the thing. If, if you're just traveling through your life, you know, in your twenties, thirties, whatever, and life is good, you're not going to be asking those questions about how I want to live and you know how I want to move forward. What's important to my my myself moving forward you're not going to be asking those sorts of questions because you'll only start to ask those questions when there's a discomfort and you are not comfortable or not liking your life anymore because when you're not liking your life you want out you want a different result you want a different outcome so that's when you start to ask those questions so comfort is when you have a degree of comfort in your life let's call that an anesthetic you have a degree of anesthetization And that's the thing is we need to strip a certain level of comfort off to understand who we truly are. If you've got great parents and you come from an Indian culture or a culture that actually really, you know, unites unites the family and unites the community moving forward, you're not going to have a reason to ask those questions. You're just going to follow the leader and keep going because all is well. It's it's when things are not well that you're going to start to ask the deeper soul-searching questions. So, are you going to ask in your twenties? I'm not. Only you're only going to ask those questions if you're not happy or you're uncomfortable. Mm, my son is super comfortable right now, so he's not asking those questions. Let me tell you. Okay, he's sixteen. He's definitely not asking those questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So, the, I think the thing that you know most caught my attention about your work in particular was the caliber of people that you worked with. You know, yes, elite elite athletes. You know, pretty much people who are at the top of their game in every field. And yeah. it's kind of like you hit rock bottom, which qualifies you to basically help people who are at the top of their game. So, what is it that that makes these people tick? Uh, which I, I think is the billion dollar question because I've had everybody here from Elon Musk's ex-wife to yeah. um, billionaires to, you know, bank robbers to presidential candidates. And there's uh, 
you know, and then, you know, on the flip side of that, I, you know, I, I just finished writing this piece about the five most important decisions we'll all make in our life. Uh, and oh, wow. one of the things I said is that outliers are actually a lousy role model for the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, for many of the things that you and I were, I think, alluding to before we hit record here, that there's a sort of, you know, blatantly obvious variable that throws off a lot of things like basically Malcolm Gladwell's outlier advantages, yeah. Yeah. Um, which we don't take into account when we look at uh, extraordinary accomplishments because these are the people that they write self-help books about. Like nobody writes a self-help book about the person who spent 10,000 hours on something and didn't amount to shit. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's, that's very true. That's very true. So with that in mind, how do you answer this question of what is it that makes the people that you work with, you know, achieve at the level that they do? So I would say it's a certain type of drive that they have or a certain type of outcome that they're after. Like, you know, when I was working with Gillian from The X-Files, her thing was I want to be an A-list actress. You know, when I'm working with Olympians, they want to go one second faster or to get the gold or, you know, to get a better contract. So it and they, again, even though they are actually at the top of their field, like they're world record-holding Olympians or celebrities or you know, they're at the top of their field, they they want something, they've set themselves a goal and they want to achieve something to a certain level. So that say it's the gold medal, they want that. So once they determine what they want, they'll they'll do whatever it takes to get there. So they have this drive and often it's either inbuilt, like it's in their makeup or it's come through the trauma that they've had that, that I, I want to achieve this or they're actually trying to leave some sort of legacy in their family, like say, you know, uh, these athletes who were brought up by single mums and they've got four or five kids, they're trying to correct that poverty that they grew up with to create wealth from their contracts to transform their family lives. So the pain of their childhood is a huge driver. So I would say a lot of them are driven by by some sort of pain or trauma or a drive to achieve. They have something in their soul that says, I need to achieve this. This has to happen for me and I'm not going to stop until I get there. So even though at, they're still at the top of the game, they still want more and that doesn't necessarily mean more things. They want to achieve more because they, they know that they can. Because often I'm asked, mm. why are you coaching people at the very top because they're already at the top? I'm like, don't you think they want to improve? Don't you think they know they have more in their soul? Like they also have, they want to create more because, you know, universe is ever expanding. So these people at the top, they want to create more. They have that driver some of them have inbuilt natural talent and some of them have something that was born into their soul, which is a driver. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be an Olympian. Like I love the story of our um, the first female jockey to win the Melbourne Cup in 150 years. She was about from the age of three or four. She, used to, she was from a family of jockeys, but from the age of three or four, she used to tell everyone, I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup. And she just walked around telling everyone, I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup. And so her whole life was honed on winning the Melbourne Cup. So finally, the two years before the Melbourne Cup, she was put on a horse and she said to herself, this is the horse I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup on. And and the thing is, you know, there's no female rider in the Melbourne Cup like it had never happened before so for her even to get the ride was huge like they she couldn't get the ride finally they said okay we'll let you we'll let you ride him and it was 101 100 to 1 odds that she would win that that horse would win and she for weeks beforehand she was going through how the race was going to be and she had decided you know which who she was going to what what you know gate they were going to get that sort of thing the barrier 
and she did get it and she pictured the race in her head over and over how it was going to be. That's exactly what happened and she won the Melbourne Cup, first female to win the Melbourne Cup. But that started when she was three years old. She was three years old saying, I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup. So some people come into this life, they already know, I'm going to be a famous pianist. I'm going to be a mathematician. I'm going to win the Melbourne Cup. I'm going to be an astronaut. So how well you know yourself, your awareness of self is what's going to drive the ship. And some people wake up during the life, our lives, and some people don't. Some people have an idea where they're going and what they're going to achieve, and some people don't. But those people at the top of their game, they knew this is where I'm going. They knew, you know, I, I want to achieve this level of of. Um, sophistication or this level of achievement. So that's that's what I would say about those people at the top of the game. And they're very interesting right. to work with. A lot of them are quite down to earth and some of them aren't because some of them get wrapped up mm-hmm. in, you know, all the media and stuff that can sweep you away. Yeah, for sure. So that raises two very important questions for me. You know, I'm sure you're familiar with Dan Pink's work on in Drive. Um, yes. You know, Drive being a word that has come up over and over again in our conversation. Yes. And everything that you mentioned about each of these people is an external outcome. Yes. And yet, what we know from most of the research uh, is that when we're outcome driven, it's a recipe for disappointment. And I can tell you from my own life that when I became process oriented and not outcome driven, yeah. funny enough, I got like I achieved all the outcomes. So the question that that raises for me is how you have this balance coexistence between fulfillment and ambition with knowing that this is what the research says. Yeah. I think the thing is to, you need the, uh, the outward goal to go for, like you need, that's where I want to end up, but all the work is done inside. It's all the inner work that creates that, but you need something to go for. Like if you're planning a trip to Mexico or whatever, you know, you, you go, okay, that's where I'm going to go. And then you start to go, okay, what do I need to do? What What's going to make me happy on the trip? So then you start to ask yourself, I you know, might want to go abseiling or I might want to go scuba diving. These, then you ask those sorts of questions about what is the quality of the journey, but you need the outward goal to have something to move towards. So these people have said, okay, I want to win a gold medal or I want to be get a top contract or I want to have a better business, and then the work starts inside. So the outward goal is just the, the destination and then all of the work is the inner work. Whether they're aware of it or not, it's still the inner work. Mm, wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So, so at this point in your life, uh, having gone through what you have, um, experiencing all the things you have and, you know, like experiencing such a dramatic transformation, how has it changed your own personal definition of success and what matters to you? Um, you know, let's say that all of this were to go away tomorrow. Yeah. Would the- that change how you feel about your life? Yeah, really interesting. I, for me, I, I often get asked, is it, you know, is it about being number one or the top in your field or what is it about? For me, it's actually the journey of the soul, like it's the evolution of my spirit. Like my question to myself is what if I could? So if all of this was to go away tomorrow, I'd just start again. I'd, I'd do the same thing again. The only thing is I I will be a charity and a foundation and I will build a 1,000 schools and hospitals because that is actually my driver now that my family's taken care of, it's who else can I help? And if you go through Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once your needs are met, your next step will naturally be contribution. So my thing is 
I am evolving each and every day, but the essence of who I am, I still am that driven person. I still have that desire to live each and every moment, to risk myself emotionally. The core nature of who I am is the same. So I would still go after that type of thing because I need, my soul needs a stretch. What if I could? What could I do if I, if I really put my mind to it? What can I create? What legacy will I leave? that that's how I live so that will never change with or without the things that I have I will that is who I am that's how I move through the world so I would continue that path I mean retirement mm, you know this is fun I'm having the time time. so I think to my last breath I'll be moving and shaking yeah wow um well this has been incredible Uh, so I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What makes someone unmistakable is their own unique and creative capacity to live in this life and to harness that unique creative ability, no matter what the outside world is telling you. So if you buy into the outside world and the outside world tells you you can or you can't, then you lose your sense of purpose and your unique, unique creative talent may never be expressed. That is what will make someone unmistakable. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with our listeners. Um, where can people find out more about you, your work, and uh, everything else that you are up to in the world? So you can reach me at consciouscoaching.coach, and I have an online program which is helping people you know, become champions to business called Business FX. So you can reach me there. I'm on Facebook, Conscious Coaching Collective, Rhiannon and Reese, and of course through LinkedIn. So any of those avenues you can reach me. And I am more than happy to provide a free copy of my best-selling book, How to Climb Mount Everest and Sandals, for all of your listeners if you'd like that, Srini. Yeah, that would be fantastic. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com slash covered. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Sincerely Sloan, presented by Uninterrupted. I'm your host, professional tennis player, wife, parent, and entrepreneur, Sloan Stevens. As an athlete and as a person, my journey has had a lot of twists and turns, from moments of adversity and doubt to unimaginable triumph and satisfaction. Throughout the season, I'm joined by some of the biggest names in sports, entertainment, culture, and a few members of my tribe. Our conversations keep it real and push it past skin deep. We reveal the perspectives, routines, and products that allow each of us to show up at our best. Join me on my journey of self-discovery and many, many laughs along the way. Sincerely, Sloan. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.